0: would vanish if
1: we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard again the military industrial hunter. UFOs, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet. The Manticore Network proudly presents, Mary Dallas, because the truth will set you free. July
2: 8th, 1947, the Army Air Force has announced
1: that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm tired of hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took
2: from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled in your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful, Sooner or like, later though,
1: you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com, where we ask questions and question the answers. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, very dust member, for making this program possible. Tonight's special guest is author and researcher, Brian Forster, directly from Cusco, Peru. We'll discuss the mystery of the elongated skulls. Was this a natural occurrence, extraterrestrial visitation? Or was it a tribal ritual? Brian Forster will be with us shortly. To listen to the full interview, go to veritasradio.com and click on the subscribe link. You'll receive immediate access to this full interview and everything we have to offer from day one. Think about it. For the price of one latte, is what you pay per month. And you'll be exposed to hundreds of mind-expanding interviews that you won't get anywhere else, commercial and censorship-free. Subscribe today. And don't forget to visit our Veritas store, where you can buy MMS. It's better to have it and not need it, than need it and not have it, and it's so inexpensive. You can also buy our futuristic metal case USB drives with all of our seasons and bonus material. Visit the Veritas store for more information. And to get in touch with me, it's very simple. Click on the contact button of our website at VeritasRadio.com. Anthropologists suggest some elongated skulls were not deformed by bindings but belonging to an entirely different species. The scientific name for this is dolichocephaly. Most skulls exhibiting this condition were clearly the result of the practice of head binding, also called cranial deformation. What you are capable of doing via this technique is to change the shape of the skull, but not the actual volume, and this is where the Paraca skulls become especially intriguing. Three distinct shapes of not necessarily elongated, but altered skulls have been found in the area, and each seems to be unique to a particular graveyard of nobility, as in many societies those of the royal bloodline and of high spiritual positions were not buried in the same vicinity as commoners. Could the cranial deformations found have been made to emulate an ancient civilization that possessed greater abilities, and perhaps the tradition was adopted for generations? There are recent photographs showing a living man, today, with an elongated cranium. Could this subspecies still be alive today? To discuss this mystery and much more, Brian Forster is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas.
2: This is Graham Hancock and you're listening to the Veritas
1: show. Brian Forster was born in the United States but moved to the West Coast of Canada as a child where he became immediately fascinated by the native traditions of people such as the Haida. He learned to carve totem poles, canoes, masks, and other ceremonial things from master native carvers and became a professional sculptor at age 26 basically dropping his career as a marine biologist. In 1995, he moved to Maui, Hawaii, and was hired as assistant project manager for the building of the 62-foot double hull sailing canoe. There, having learned how to make Hawaiian outrigger canoe paddles from master carver Keola Sequeira, he started an online outrigger paddle business, which flourished internationally. Peru became his next major area of interest. The study of the Inca culture led to his writing a book, A Brief History of the Incas. He has now written 11 books and more are on the way. He's now the part-time assistant director of the Paracas History Museum, curating and giving archaeological tours of the area, with special emphasis on the elongated skull Paracas culture. And to learn more about Brian Forster and his work, visit his websites at visitparacas.com and hiddenincatours.com. And directly from Cusco, Peru, I would like to introduce for the first time on Veritas Brian Forster. Hello, Brian, and welcome. How are you?
0: Thank you very much, Mel. I'm very well. How about you? I'm doing great, and
1: I'm so glad to have you on, Brian, because I was telling you offline that I've been visiting your your Facebook page for a while, and it must be one of the most fascinating and informative pages I've ever seen. And uh, I'm very curious to know, what motivated you to all of a sudden start traveling the world to find the answers you probably thought you couldn't get at home.
0: Uh, Basically, I grew up on the west coast of Canada, though I was born in uh, Minnesota. And there, of course, uh, is the native tradition of totem pole carving. So I became fascinated with that, and uh, native carvers began teaching me their oral traditions and how to carve. Uh, So that was actually the beginning. And it's also because my parents were both uh, very much interested in global geography and history. Uh, They encouraged me to travel, which I did did um, ever since I was quite young, and when
1: did you go to Peru because you 've been there for quite some time right
0: Actually, i 've been visiting Peru for about six years um, and it's you know it 's basically uh, i 've been following a, a path of of native studies uh, mainly in the pacific area uh, so um, after the west coast of Canada. And then Hawaii and Polynesia, um, I naturally seem to gravitate to South America and specifically Peru. Do you see any commonalities between
1: Polynesia, Hawaii, and the Incas and and the tribes in, in Peru? Do you see commonalities there?
0: I definitely do. There are a lot of uh, oral traditions about um, the fact that all of these people traveled on the ocean great distances, and they may be genetically uh, related to one another Mm -hmm. long before the time of uh, European exploration.
1: Now, of course, we we think of uh, Christopher Columbus as the person who discovered America, but uh, Amerigo Vespucci, Vespucci or Vespuccio, was the one who came first, and then the Vikings came to this area. Why do we continue saying that Columbus discovered America when so many came before?
0: Oh, I think that's because, um, you know, there's a minority of people in power who want that kind of story told, um, as limiting as it is, as well as, you know, the history of humanity uh, humanity being limited to more or less, uh, you know, the Bible or about 6,000 years. The more that we do the research collectively, the more that we're seeing that our rich heritage as humanity is much older and much more intriguing than such a limited dogma as that. Now,
1: about Peru. Why is Peru so special? I, I speak with, with guests on a weekly basis, and Peru seems to be such a central location. If anybody wants to learn the, the origins of humanity, why is Peru so, so special?
0: Well, it seems to me that the two places on the planet that have the most intriguing and enigmatic stone structures are Egypt and Peru. Um, and uh, some of us are trying to see if there are connections between the two of them, but in both Egypt and Peru, as well as, you know, parts of Bolivia, you find these amazing ancient stone structures seemingly shaped by some kind of technology which conventional archaeology can't explain.
1: Now, well, how is it that with the technology that we have these days, and I ask this question all the time, we cannot replicate some of the the, the wonders that we find in Egypt, Peru, and many other countries.
0: Well, the thing is, if you talk to people like uh, Christopher Dunn, uh, who's the engineer who wrote uh, the Giza Power Plant, uh, he and I are going to be doing a tour next month together here in Peru. And his viewpoint is that we could do this kind of work, but it would be so time-consuming and so expensive that um, he fails to see um, how and why ancient cultures would have done things such as build incredible structures as the, you know, the Giza, the main Giza pyramid.
1: If today we find that to be so difficult to, I mean, he's saying, and I've heard this before, that we could replicate it, but it would take it's so much. How is it that with our technology today, thousands and thousands of years later, we say this, and then we, we talk about the 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 natives and, and, and the ancient ones as, uh, you know, in, in Western world, we call them soulless savages. How were they able to to, 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 to build all these magnificent monuments all over the world?
0: Well, I think, along with, uh, you know, there are so many researchers that I'm fortunate to be in contact with, such as Graham Hancock. And he's the one who really started to talk about the fact that we're suffering from a sort of amnesia, mm-hmm. in that, once you go beyond 6,000 years in history, you, as you say, all, you know, all of a sudden, you know, before that, we're hunter gatherers. And yet, you know, these monumental structures exist, which are clearly older than, you know, the 6,000-year time frame. So he talks about an amnesia that we suffer from, and a number of researchers are looking at the fact that the end of the Ice Age, which was about 12,000 years ago, was not some gentle event of the melting of the poles, it was catastrophic, and that not only dis probably destroyed much of humanity, but it also left thousands of years of this um, tendency to not want to remember what happened before.
1: And as uh, Graham calls it, it's the all of a sudden. We see all of a sudden pyramids start to start building, being built in in uh, Egypt, the same thing in Mesoamerica. Why these all of a sudden, more or less at the same time?
0: Well, I think the thing is that a lot of these structures are incredibly ancient. Some people believe that the Great Pyramid is um, possibly twelve thousand or fifteen thousand years old, mm-hmm. and that the Pharaonic people, the Pharaohs, simply inherited that. And I think that's a tend that we uh, a tendency we're looking at. The same in Cusco, um, almost all of the tour guides in Cusco say that the Inca built everything, the Inca having arrived in Cusco at about eleven hundred A.D. But the more work that I I'm doing, it seems to me that when the Inca arrived, they found an abandoned city, which they named Cusco.
1: Why do you think the city was abandoned? Do you think it was because of a cataclysm?
0: I think so. The more uh, that we're researching this, um, and I just read a, uh, a paper, actually, that Dr. Robert Schock uh, wrote. Uh, of course, he, he's the one who, who was able to re- um, uh, you know, to figure out that the Sphinx in Egypt is much older than the, uh, than the Pharaohs. And what he said along with Dr. Paul Laviolette was that there was some kind of burst of radiation from the galactic center about 12 or 13,000 years ago. And the energy that traveled aclo- uh, across the galactic plane um, disturbed the planets, including causing a mass ejection of um, material from the sun which scorched parts of the earth. That would have melted the poles very rapidly and uh, would have destroyed much of humanity as it existed at that time. Do you think these
1: civilizations, and the reason why I'm going to ask you this next question, because I've heard Dr. Shock and I've, I've heard Dr. Laviolet talk about this. For example, in Turkey, there, there are underground cities, if you will, that could, could house 28,000 people. And I think in my mind that they could have done that if they knew and they were cognizant of something that was coming. Do you think these civilizations were aware that these cataclysms were there were, there were certain interval intervals and they would reappear?
0: I think so because you you hear a lot about that in oral traditions you t- you know you hear uh, even people like the Hopi of uh, the you know southwest United States talk about the fact that there have been different worlds of people and some of them did have to go underground in order to survive also around Cusco there are rumors and evidence of quite massive tunnel systems that the Inca didn't build, but it's possible that because of um, a possible pre-knowledge of these events coming, that certain individuals were able to escape uh, the cataclysm by hiding in the tunnels.
1: What I hear of, of cataclysms and, and the possibilities that this could happen again, it reminds me of uh, Barbara Hanclough's work, Catastrophobia, where she shows that a series of cataclysmic disasters 11,500 years ago, rocked the world and left humanity's collective psyche chronically scarred. Do you think that this is why we have this fascination, expectation of apocalypse? And even I've talked to people when I tell them, look, nothing's going to happen in 2012. It's almost as if you're running in their parade because they really want something to happen. Why do you think this phenomenon is happening?
0: Well, that's a great point, and I just had a, a conversation with uh, Stephen Mailer, who you may have interviewed, and he's um, he's an oral tradition um, specialist of the uh, Egyptian ancient Egyptian culture, and that's what he was saying that we seem to have this almost subconscious fascination with disasters, <laughs> and that's why we love movies that, you know, that scare the hell out of us. Um, I, th- I think, and, and according to, I believe, what Barbara Hanclow and others say as well, is that we do have the subconscious uh, memory or knowledge of something terrible that happened in the past, and we're both afraid and on some level excited about the possibility of that happening in the future.
1: I think uh, th- this sounds to me more like a post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. And, and if that is the case, why are we always expecting a cataclysm? Almost, almost as if many like to live with that fear at a cellular level. Almost as if some people derive pleasure from it, and otherwise it's just boring.
0: Yeah, that could be. I mean, that's the whole fascination with you know the so-called countdown of the Mayan calendar, uh, like what you said um, yeah, it's highly unlikely something's going to happen on the 21st of December itself, but people seem to be preoccupied with this event. Um and I, it seems like that's it's um not simply a subconscious thing, it might be a, a genetic memory of past uh, cataclysms. That's right. That's
1: right. And in, in your findings in, in South America, I just want to ask you what I asked most of the researchers, what happened to the knowledge. Why is it that the, the ancient ones did not leave the, the, dare we say it, blueprints? Is it because it was oral tradition and if a cataclysm occurred and the vanished died or, or moved somewhere else, that's why we cannot replicate them?
0: I think so. I mean, you do find in the oral traditions, you you find stories about this, but um, unfortunately amongst people like uh, the Inca, they were so badly devastated by the Spanish conquest that um, much of their information either went underground or has been literally wiped out. But by decoding the oral traditions, which are written as poetry, they're not written as, um, you know – as straight stories, we're able to start to decode some of what history um, of the history of, of that area uh, was.
1: And it's interesting to to observe some of the pictures that you have on your website. For example, I remember one, I forgot the name, but it's, it's a street and a...
2: Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more...